Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Arteta and Arsenal were furious with VAR following their defeat at St James's Park on Saturday evening. It's an absolute disgrace that this goal is allowed. It's an absolute disgrace. But with just one shot on target in the entire game, should they be more concerned with their own misfiring attack this season? Gabriel Jesus' ongoing fitness issues mean that Eddie Nketiah is playing far more than a backup role. From a brilliant hat-trick at home to Sheffield United, to being subbed with his team in need of a goal in Newcastle, has Eddie Nketiah become the fall guy for Arsenal's need to evolve in attack? I'm Ayo Akimolere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Offside now, there you go. Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah, he could be offside, I'm not sure. I've got a clue. I think we'll be debating that for the next couple of weeks. All right, let's get into this one. I'm joined by the Athletics' David Ornstein and also Arsenal correspondent James McNicholas. Uh, James, on that goal, the goal that Newcastle scored, Arteta said it should have been disallowed for, for so many different reasons. I feel embarrassed. But I have to be the one now coming here to try to defend the club and please ask for help because it's an absolute disgrace that this goal is allowed. It's an absolute disgrace because it's not a goal. For many reasons, it's not a goal. For more than one reason, at least, it's not a goal. And it's too much a stay here. We put so much effort. From your so perspective, which one was more clear-cut for you? Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's three issues that VAR looked at, one being the ball potentially being out of play, one being the offside and one being uh, a foul on Gabriel, the centre-half by Joe Linton. And of course, you can't disallow a goal cumulatively, right? One of those reasons has got to be enough on its own. You can't say, well, there's three things that look a bit dodgy, therefore we're going to write it off. For me, it's all about the foul. It's all about the push in the back. You know, the ball being out of play, well, we haven't actually got the technology to gauge that officially. We didn't have the requisite camera angles. The offside, similarly, there wasn't appropriate angle from which they could draw the line and determine. So what can you say? I think that is a foul, though, on Gabriel, I must say, by Joe Linton at the back post. He's got his hands on his back. And I can understand why Arsenal felt uh, aggrieved at that decision not being overturned. Yeah, and what do you make of the um, the, the statement last night? You know that the, the club publicly have said that that they're backing the manager because <laughs> Mikel Arteta didn't mince his words <laughs> on speaking about the officials and also how how decisions with VAR can actually cost teams, especially if you're you know gunning for the Premier League. Absolutely, and I think you know Mikel Arteta's words were very strong after the game. Obviously, there's a lot of emotion tied up in that, a lot of frustration. I think as well, you've got to bear in mind that this probably isn't an isolated incident in his mind. He's thinking of 
You know, Arsenal have been the victims of situations where the offside line's not been drawn appropriately in the past. You know, we're only a few weeks away from a situation against Manchester City where it looked very much like Kovacic was extremely fortunate to escape a red card. Arsenal, in the end, managed to get the win and get the result that day. Obviously, they didn't at St James's Park, and that's increased the frustration and disappointment. Arsenal have subsequently come out and backed Mikel Arteta with a statement. I'm not particularly surprised that they've done that. You know, Mikel Arteta put himself out on a limb with those comments. And I think this is as much about Arsenal showing support for him at this time as anything else. Um, In terms of sort of what weight the statement actually carries, you know, it's difficult to say because I think at the end of the day, ultimately, clubs are coming out and protecting their interests. You know, if that decision had been given at the other end, we wouldn't have a statement from Arsenal today saying they think the standard of officiating is not up to scratch. And to be honest, I think that kind of tribalism is what's going to prevent real progress happening here. You know, Liverpool had that situation against Spurs a few weeks ago where that was a purely objective decision. The goal should not have been um, disallowed, and yet it was. And yet you didn't really see other clubs coming to the fore backing Liverpool in that moment. That struck me as an opportune time for clubs to come together and say, you know, is VAR really working for us right now? Is it proving successful? And they didn't because ultimately all these clubs are out to protect their own interests. And I think until we move past that, we're probably not going to see that much change. Well, David, look, Arsenal have released a statement um, backing their manager. Liverpool released a statement after uh, their issues with, with VAR. Do you see this as a, a trend um, occurring um, with especially the big clubs? I'd like to think not, Io, and I don't think it's gone down particularly well across the league. I was speaking to somebody this morning before we record this who has no reason to like or dislike Arsenal, pretty neutral in the whole conversation, uh, understood Mikel Arteta's rant and displeasure and so do I by the way we're not saying the decisions were right wrong but his frustration post-match is is legitimate and understandable you can sympathize with it and I don't think he really deserves criticism for that in my opinion certainly within the industry it feels like it's lost Arsenal a bit of goodwill whether that's fair or not just because of the can of worms it may open. Now, Liverpool's was quite unique, given that there was a clear mistake that everybody acknowledged, including the PGMOL. Check complete, check complete. It's fine, perfect. But with the Arsenal one, it is subjective. And therefore, statements almost like, well, what are you trying to say or achieve here? Uh, From speaking to others their clubs I I don't think this is some concerted effort Liverpool now Arsenal are others going to follow and there's a big plan which they're all trying to initiate to change the um, PGMOL uh, have a drastic impact on the referees it's all being discussed in back channels and we're going to see some big news and statement after statement until something gives I'm not sensing that at all if it is happening I'm, I'm not aware of it and I think actually um the Arsenal statement has perhaps across the wider industry produced the opposite effect in um, that they may, you know, try and discuss this more in in the private channels with Howard Webb, uh, PGMOL, uh, Premier League. Clearly, they don't think that the um, the protestations and conversations so far are having the desired effect, and that's why they're taking to these public means. But Right now, and 
unless I'm missing something, don't think it's a sign of things to come. James, at the end of the day, Arsenal lost the match um, and they lost the match with just one shot on target. There's something different about Arsenal this season. Defensively, incredibly solid. Attacking-wise, doesn't seem as fluid. Are, Are Arsenal struggling to create chances? I think there is something different about the team this season. I'm not necessarily sure that a game away at St James's Park is maybe the best illustration of that. Newcastle have a really excellent defence, uh, and this was a very close game. You know, Newcastle didn't really have a chance in the game either, uh, apart from obviously the incident which led to the goal, which we've just discussed. Uh, and these big games between you know the sort of top six clubs can be. Uh, incredibly tight and decided by the finest of margins. And this proved to be one of those. However, I think more broadly, uh, there is a discussion to be had about the way in which Arsenal's team has evolved. I think we saw for the vast majority of the game at St James's Park that defensively they are really secure. I think they've become much more stable, much more disciplined, much more structured. But I think there is an offset to that. There has been a little bit of a cost so far in this early period of the season. And they aren't playing with the same kind of uh, verve that they did for long periods last season. Now, there are explanations. There have been some key absentees. If you look at the performance at St James's Park, Thomas Partey, Martin Odegaard, Gabriel Jesus, all absent, all injured. Those are three players right through the spine of the team. And I think Jesus in particular brings that chaos, that X factor to the attack. But it is interesting watching Mikel Arteta grapple with that. You know, how does he add solidity, structure, security to the team and still maintain that attacking threat? And I would say it's probably fair to say that in these first few months of the season, I don't think the balance is quite where he'd want it to be. Three players that are pivotal to Arsenal's um, attack, Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard in particular. I think um, Saka has been involved in nearly half of the side's direct attacks in the Premier League since the 2022-23 season. And, you know, Martinelli's 37-odd percent, you know, isn't far off either. Odegaard is also in the mix there. Our team's just figuring out how to play against Arsenal. Once you snuff those two wingers out, and obviously Odegaard wasn't playing yesterday, then Arsenal have a problem. Potentially, I mean, you know, Bukayo Saka, I thought, had a really difficult afternoon or evening as it was at St James's Park. I didn't think he had his his best game, but sometimes, you know, his performances can be a little bit off his his top level and yet he'll still have a moment which can be absolutely decisive. That's the quality of the player and that's why Mikel Arteta has so much faith in him. Uh, Ultimately, it didn't prove to be the case on Saturday. I think one thing that's quite interesting to look at is variety when it comes to Arsenal. I couldn't help but look at Manchester City on Saturday. They bring Doku into the team and the impact that he has, the creativity, the speed, the variety, essentially. When you think about Arsenal's front line, you mentioned Saka and Martinelli. Invariably, those guys play. And, you know, they tried very hard in January to sign a player like Mikhailo Mudrik, who I think they viewed as an alternative to those two, someone who could provide tactical flexibility, who could enable them to rest those guys, to rotate them, to maybe replace them halfway through the second half and maintain that speed, that threat in behind. Now, obviously, they didn't get the player and it hasn't worked out brilliantly for him at Chelsea so far. They signed Leo Trossard, who's a very good player, but maybe a different type. So... You know, when I think about Liverpool and they can play on the flanks, Diaz or, or Jota or even Gakpo, potentially, Mohamed Salah on the other side, 
I think Arsenal would really benefit from adding a wide forward to Sacro and Martinelli to help keep those guys fresh and maintain that threat for a full 90 minutes. We asked tactics writer Ahmed Walid for his thoughts on whether or not Arsenal actually have a creative issue. Here's what he had to say. When it comes to Arsenal's attack, mainly in open play, I think any Arsenal fan or any neutral watching can see they're not clicking as much like last season. And looking into the data, Arsenal's expected goals in open play. So we're going to exclude the penalties and we're going to exclude the set pieces. And because Arsenal only played 11 games this season, we have to do with per game or per 90 just to have a fair comparison. So Arsenal's expected goal from open play per 90 last season was 1.45. This season, it's 1.03. But I think it's important to note that last season, Arsenal were ahead early in the game more. Just over a minute gone. And this is the Arsenal that have been taking the lead by storm this season. And because of the game state, the opponent has to move up a, a bit. And this creates spaces. And from these spaces, Arsenal can either strike on the transition or they can actually, like, because the opponent is higher, they can go in behind. And actually, Arteta, like, told James McNicholas this uh, before the Chelsea game. But also, he told James another important thing, and it's set pieces. Because now, teams know how good Arsenal are, they'll drop deeper, and Arsenal will face more low blocks. And when they face more low blocks, it means that Arsenal will probably have more set pieces. And when it comes to set pieces, I think Arsenal are one of the best teams in the league, if not the world, when it comes to attacking set pieces, especially corners. We saw that last season and the season before. And when looking into the data this season, uh, we can see that they have the sixth best uh, goals per 100 set pieces and they have the second best goals per 100 corners. So this area of, of the game is also connected to Arsenal's attack. Like Arteta said, we should not like look at both separately. But the main point still stands. I think Arsenal, in terms of open play chance creations, they have to do better. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolev.
I guess this just brings me on to the, the, the question of, of Eddie and Ketia. Um, Gabriel Jesus has been injured a fair bit um, this season and last then, which means Eddie and Ketia has actually had to step up. And uh, our colleague Amy Lawrence wrote only last week that the acclaim for Eddie and Ketia as he walked off the pitch holding his hat-trick ball was total. The Emirates crowd fell back in love with this striker for this weekend at least. And I guess that's always the one, isn't it? Like when, when a striker is firing, we love him. And also, look... Eddie Nketiah scored a hat-trick. Brilliant for, for the young lad. But with the continued absence of, of, of Gabriel Jesus, James, is he Arsenal's solution to, to a number nine? Well, he certainly seems to be Mikel Arteta's favoured solution when Gabriel Jesus isn't available. Uh, there was a period towards the end of last season where Trossard was starting there ahead of Nketiah. And actually, I think he performed very well in that role as a kind of false nine. But Arteta seems to have reverted to making Nketiah the de facto deputy for Jesus when he's not around. Um, he has huge faith in him and he has done for some time. Uh, you know, ever since he came into the club as manager, Arteta has spoken effusively about Nketiah's qualities and one of his first actions as Arsenal manager was to bring him back from a loan spell at Leeds United and integrate him in the first team squad. He obviously rewarded him with a long-term contract as well, not too long ago. And every time he's asked about him in a press conference, he speaks about the player's attitude, his mentality. And that, I think, is one of the really strong suits of Eddie Nketiah's game, one of the strong suits of him as a person. He's incredibly driven. You know, this is a guy who was released from Chelsea at 14 years old, uh, immediately went into Arsenal and has found a way back to the top, back to the England squad, no less, and becoming a full England international. What's interesting is the disparity maybe in, in style between Jesus and Nketiah, you know, can Arsenal play their football as they intend to with Eddie as their spearhead rather than Gabriel Jesus? Sometimes they seem to manage it. You mentioned Sheffield United. He obviously scored a hat-trick in that game. I think what that tells you is there are matches, there are opponents that really suit Nketiah. And there are others, I think, which maybe do less so. And I'd say St. James's Park is probably one of those. Um, he was electric against Sheffield United. But what Arsenal needed in that game was someone who could help them prosper when they were pegging teams back, uh, someone who could find that extra half yard of space in the 18-yard box. And I think that is where Nketiah really comes into his own. I think it's been an interesting couple of years for him. There's been a significant evolution in him as a player. And he's gone from being a guy who was seen as a penalty box poacher to someone who's had to work much more on his all-round game. And credit to him. I think he's applied himself in those areas and has certainly improved. But I think we shouldn't overlook where he's really at his best. And for me, that's when the ball breaks in the penalty box. He's got to use his acceleration, his intuition to get there first and put the ball in the net. And that's, I think, where he really comes into his own. In the overall aspect of his game, I think Jesus is still some way ahead. And that's why his absence is so keenly felt when he's not there. Yeah, I'm really impressed by the way Eddie Nketiah has established himself as part of Arsenal's first team setup, And um, he's having a really good career that, um, as James points out, has earned him international recognition. And Arsenal fans, Arsenal as a club, he, everybody around him will hope that that goes from strength to strength. I think... Maybe one of the problems you have at a club of Arsenal's level of expectation is, you know, it's the club of Thierry Henry and Ian Wright and um, strikers of the very highest order. And Eddie Nketiah is not those players. Uh, he's, he's very different. But Arsenal find themselves with, with Eddie Nketiah front and centre now with all of this sort of burden 
on his shoulders in the absence of Jesus. Jesus has won league titles with Manchester City. He's led the line for Brazil. And so we need a bit of context and perspective here. Uh, It's interesting that Arsenal, let's remember, these are the people seeing him on a daily basis and analysing his performance and making big decisions on the contract that James points out. They put all their eggs in the Eddie Nketiah basket. You know, they had Flo Balogun, an emerging centre-forward who had had a fantastic season on loan in Ligue 1, and yet they decided that Eddie was the right one for them. And we've seen moments which suggest they right to do so and um, others which for multitude of reasons indicate that he's still got work to do the squad have still got work to do around him I think he can be a, a really valuable asset but he probably like most probably couldn't you know unless you're talking in Erling Haaland is lead a title challenge on his shoulders I think you're spot on but I'm just thinking you know obviously Arsenal fans will love seeing a player who's come from the academy making it to play in the first team and Bukayo Saka was a one in a generational player like I mean it's very hard to compare those metrics sometimes some players develop much quicker some some don't and you talk about the contract I mean Aaron Ramsdale recently signed a contract and uh, my question to you James is you know Jesus has, has what been injured sorry what 21 games since signing for Arsenal in 2022 that's a lot of games for someone who's your key number nine if Arsenal are looking to move on from last season does a team with this kind of ambition have enough time and space to have a player that you can sort of use in particular games effectively and then hope that maybe your wide players will will, will contribute to their full extent I mean it's, there's a lot at stake there yeah it's a big consideration for Arsenal and they've been in similar positions in the past you know you think of Kieran Tierney who was an outstanding fullback for Arsenal for this long time but missed long periods through uh, different injuries and ultimately Arsenal kind of moved past him you know they brought in other players to play in that part of the pitch Zinchenko uh, Jurian Timber we see Tommy Asu there now and Tierney finds himself on loan in La Liga and I'm sorry to say injured again uh, similarly Thomas Partey a really really important player in this Arsenal team over the last few years but could you rely on him to remain fit that was the big question and what did Arsenal do They brought in Jorginho in January. They brought in Declan Rice in the summer. They gave themselves a bit more protection, a bit more mitigation against that risk. And you do wonder with Jesus if we might be entering that territory. I feel for him because he's not a player who had a particularly poor injury record before signing for Arsenal. Obviously, he sustained a significant knee injury at the World Cup and had surgery subsequent to that. He's had to have another procedure since then uh, on the same area. And it looks and feels a bit like a lot of these injuries are related Uh, to that World Cup blow. But he is so important to this Arsenal team that you do have to wonder, does Arteta, you know, with the January window opening and and next summer's window maybe thinking more long-term, does he have to develop uh, an alternative, a contingency there and and start to plan for a situation where he's not always going to be able to call on Gabriel Jesus game after game? That just does appear to be the reality of the situation at the moment. Obviously, really hope he can turn it around and prove that he can stay fit because... He's just a fantastic player to watch when he is available. Okay, well, on the Nketiah front, we actually spoke to Arsenal supporter and former Premier League striker Darren Bent for his thoughts on what really separates the good from the good enough to lead Arsenal's front line as they attempt to go one better than last season. I think the only thing lacking really from Eddie's game to make him top, top level was consistency. I think that real inner belief that he can score goals week in, week out. I think if he could do that, 
I think he turned himself into a top, top striker because everything's there. The finishing's there. The movement's there. He can score goals. He can create goals. He's quick. He's strong. He's powerful. It's just consistency. If he could put a run of games together like for a full season where he scores, you know, I mean, every couple of games or his ratio's around one in two, then I think that will turn him into a real top striker. Well, I think that's what pretty much every top club is asking themselves and striving towards the sort of halcyon vision that that place that you want to be at when you've got somebody of the level of uh, Erling Haaland, Harry Kane. Unfortunately, the, the market for those players right now is, is, is pretty slim. Um, there's a small pool of players that, that are at that level. It doesn't mean that others can't get towards it. You know, you're seeing an amazing signing like Julian Alvarez at Manchester City, um, who appears to be on the path from good to great, but you don't know. Um, it's a very fine line. You know, Gabriel Jesus has great moments and it fit perhaps the capacity to be a great striker, but you don't see them enough and that's not always their fault. So it's an impact injury. It doesn't mean that you're injury prone. And, you know, the, the problems that a club like Chelsea have right now, somebody like Jackson, who they've banked on to try and turn into a, a great striker from a very good one at Villarreal. Look at Tottenham, the amount of time they've mm. been looking for somebody who could um, play alongside Harry Kane in the squad or succeed him if he was to ever leave. And, and now he's left and they've had to compensate in other ways. So it's a, a really difficult question. That demand, and I think we've said this on the podcast before, the demand for those top strikers, the greats that you mentioned, is much higher than the supply. So it's a Victor Osserman, a Benjamin Sesko, a Victor Boniface, who's doing well at Leverkusen. But Boniface a, has only just started really exactly, showing promise at Leverkusen, a, 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 you know. Correct. So an Evan Ferguson is one they're all looking at very closely at Brighton, who will hope to keep hold of him for a long time to come. Actually, quite a few of them did end up moving in the summer with Kane, Kolo Moani, Turam, and so... Going from good to great is uh, is easier said than done. And and even when you... I use Chelsea as another example. Um, you look at what they might do in January. It might not be a striker. Uh, number nine, which is, to many, will be m remarkable to hear because we're all watching them and saying they just need a number nine. Easier said than done. So perhaps they do go for another versatile attacker and bring more goals from more areas. And I, th I think the, the days where we can, you know just turned to an Alan Shearer, an Ian Wright, uh, they seem to be gone. <laughs> and so the good versus great debate is, um, is one that is, is not a fine science. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Ayo Akinwalere. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm watching Jesus at centre forward. I'm watching Enketia at centre forward. and They're both very good, but I'd like them to be my number two and three striker. 
But if they had a number nine, a top number nine, and they've had some real top number nines in the last 20, 30 years, Arsenal, I think they could go on and win the title. And James, just really quickly on this one, and, you know, in Ketia especially, because I think that's also where Darren Bent was really fascinating on his commentary as a striker, is that he needs uh, you know, a bit more consistency. And to get that consistency, he needs more game time. Um, at the level Arsenal are at, or trying to get at as, as a team, do you have enough time of a window to, to make that big an impact uh, as a striker if you're Eddie Nketiah? Um, because if Jesus is out, you need a striker that's firing on all cylinders. Is Arsenal the best place for him to get all that game time? It's a good question. I mean, he obviously had uh, a loan spell at Leeds way back now, where even there he wasn't a regular starter. They had Patrick Bamford at the time and he found himself coming off the bench a lot or playing in cup games. He couldn't get the regular football and ultimately that's why he ended up coming back to Arsenal. You know, he's never really had a full season where he's been the main man somewhere, probably since he was in Arsenal's academy side. And I think that probably is difficult. You know, something I think... Eddie, his record shows is that he does better when he starts games, for example. When he comes on as a substitute, sometimes his impact's less and his goal-scoring record is not as good in those scenarios. So I think experience is a thing. And it's funny, we think of him as a young player, but he's into his mid-20s now. And yet, obviously, without racking up game after game after game after game, his development opportunity is limited. All we can say is that what Arsenal and Mikel Arteta see in training they obviously feel he's absolutely on the right path. Um, and, you know, I think it's always interesting and exciting to talk about potential signings. But the coaching staff are working with Eddie and Ketia every single day. And the fact that they continue to pick him, to persist with him, to choose him effectively over Flo Balogun, as David suggested, to reward him with that new contract, I think is testament to their faith in him. Now, will that be borne out on the pitch? I guess we'll find out over the next few weeks. Uh, unless Gabriel Jesus comes back in a hurry. James just talked about possible signings or possible transfer uh, conversations, which has mm. perfectly opened the door for you, David Ornstein, to, <laughs> to talk about all those rumours around Ivan Tony. I mean, not long left on, of, on his deal. I know you had this Ask Ornstein kind of session with the fans, and that was a question they were really intrigued on. What is the truth behind this £100 million mark for Ivan Tony, if Brentford were to sell? I think I get that question um, multiple times every single week. And even when I've answered it once and some of the uh, subscribers who come to the Q&A <laughs> each week have seen it, they ask it again. And I can understand why, because it's one of the sort of most um, interesting situations in the transfer market, because Ivan Tony is out of contract in 2025. Now we're already starting to get into that zone where will he leave, won't he leave, where might he go? Speculation is increasing. And in and amongst all of that, he moved to a new agency, um, CAA Stella, and they're renowned for making big money transfers. They represented, represent Gareth Bale, Jack Grealish to Manchester City. And so do you join an agency like that just for a laugh or to sign a new contract? Or do you join them to, to make a high profile move? Doesn't mean to say it will be a move for money, for sure, because January, and I'm going to come on to the sort of depth on this in a moment, but 
January is is fast approaching. Um, he's been serving an eight month ban um, that will come to an end, I think, on the sixteenth of Jan. wasn't even allowed to train for the first four months. He is now back in training and able to play behind closed doors uh, matches. Uh, but clubs will be looking at this and and knowing that if Brentford are going to sell their best player and and a guy with his record and who is still under contract for a year and a half, then it will be for a high amount of money. I think he's composed. I think he's a good finisher. Top mentality. So I understand why clubs are looking at him. But he's a Brentford player now. And if people want to come, and with today's market, the, the, the price is for number six position players. And we all know that goal scorers or attackers are the most expensive one. Used to be. I guess, I guess, I guess <laughs> that would be very expensive. Uh. There's been no significant movement on this yet. No kind of Arsenal leading the way, then Chelsea are leading the way, etc. I think it's relatively calm. In terms of the £100 million plus valuation that has been reported, I don't know that Brentford have set an asking price. That's not my information right now. I don't think we're quite at that stage yet, as much as the transfer world and many of us would like it to be. Then you go through those clubs. So an Arsenal have had their financial fair play challenges. When they do have money to spend, um, they need to pay for David Rea because it was a loan with an understanding that he will be signed at the end of it. And what position does that leave them in financially? Then you've got Chelsea, who are definitely looking for an attacker, whether it be a number nine or somebody else who can provide goals, um, very possibly in January. But um, is Ivan Tony that man? You know, a lot of people have talked about his age profile with Chelsea and the fact they've only signed young players in recent times. I don't think that's so much the case, given what we've seen Kane do. But if you are going to go older, then you probably um, have to look for somebody that you know is going to deliver. And so as far as I know, right now, he's not right at the top of, of Chelsea's list. Uh, obvious next question is, um, well, who is? And and we'll have to exactly. try and report on that in the months ahead. <laughs> yeah. Tottenham, I think, is one to watch, uh, especially because of the Harry Kane departure, but they don't seem to have done too badly in the meantime. So let's see how that develops. And to bring it full circle back to Arsenal, as the theme of this podcast is that club, so many people are talking about... Uh, Ivan Tony, is he coming? Is he not? Etc. And he's mentioned them publicly in the past. Um, and and there's definitely going to be admiration for him inside the club. Uh, that goes without saying. There's admiration for him at most of these clubs we've discussed. But when Arsenal do make a permanent signing post Raya being turned permanent, it does feel logical to me that uh, that would be a, a striker. And. I guess my final question on this is, um, and I'm thinking as both a journalist and a fan. Hmm. Um, does he fit Mikel Arteta's side? Is he a natural fit in that squad? Um, if you are going to spend a decent amount of money on him, regardless of what that fee is, um, does he seamlessly fit into that squad? I'm a bit biased because I really like mm. Ivan Tony, and I think he could fit into pretty much any squad. Um, he's a high-level performer and he offers something different. So let's see if he can adapt. Um, the problem is when you're spending that level of money, it's not trial and error. You want to be certain. He's shown no fears about performing at the elite level away from home. I remember uh, at Manchester City, um, he was unbelievable last season in, in Brentford's historic, iconic win. And so, yeah, he might not be um, top of the list among all of the recruitment and decision makers at Arsenal. Um, but that doesn't mean that he couldn't fit in. I think he could there, but equally, I think he could at pretty much at every club too. 
there is that concern about how he will return uh, from the betting ban. Um, but I would back him to make up for lost time and hit the ground running. Okay, fantastic. Um, you know, just you describing Ivan Tony just made me gave me a few butterflies in my stomach. It sounds like the complete striker. Maybe he's <laughs> the one Arsenal need. We shall see. Anyway, David, James, thanks so much uh, for your time. And don't forget, you can sign up to The Athletic today and enjoy more from these two. James is a regular on our dedicated twice-weekly Arsenal podcast, Handbreak Off. We'll be back again tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.